Hello and welcome to the Running Anthropologist podcast. This is your host, Mark Lane Holbert, coming to you from our home studios with my lovely daughter, Gretchen Noel, and my co-host and co-producer, Megan Lane Holbert. We are excited to especially bring you this week Peace Corps running stories, stories from far off places, people serving communities in finding themselves and helping their communities discover the joys of running. All of this coming to you from individuals in various parts of the globe. Today and next week, we'll be highlighting all of their work, what they're doing now, and what the Peace Corps brought to them, and especially how their running allowed them to see the world and what they learned from it. So if you care to join us on this journey, let's get started without delay. Here we go. And welcome to the podcast, Kelly Maddock. She is uh, currently in the D.C. area and works as a development officer, actually, parlaying her Peace Corps experience back to doing great things uh, at home. And she works with uh, International Medical Corps and uh, does all sorts of other neat stuff, including musical therapist um, work. So, But I'll I'll let her tell you a little bit about that because I know it's connected to her service. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. No problem. Uh, we, we're really happy to have you too. Um, could you start out by telling us a little bit about um, your service, uh, where and when, and you know what you were assigned to do there? Sure. It's kind of a longer story. So I never applied to the Pacific Islands. I applied to Spanish-speaking countries, and I got a phone call one day asking if I would interview for Fiji. And I said, well, I don't speak Fijian. I speak Spanish. She said, well, nobody speaks Fijian unless you live in Fiji, so that's okay. <laughs> and so I was somehow off on my way to Fiji um, and had no idea. And before we left, we were all told we were working in community organizations. They kind of switched that on us. We all ended up in school somehow. And nobody in my group, except for maybe one or two people, were teachers by trade. But Interesting. we were teaching youth development Uh so it was basically holistic wellness um and we taught that to both secondary and primary school students so i was at a primary school i was in fiji from 2015 to 2018 and i lived in a rural village on the mainland so i was really lucky to be on the mainland but Mm -hmm. um i was still in a pretty rural village and I worked at a secondary school, but I also worked uh, in the village and I worked with our women's group and youth group. I'm a music therapist by trade, so I did a lot of what, what we consider music therapy. There is no music therapy in Fiji. It doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a master's degree in music therapy. I have a board certification in the US. So I basically use music to do non-music things. So in Fiji, I use that to empower our youth or our women on different topics. I did a lot of reproductive health and a lot of empathy development. Because if you've ever worked with 13 year old children, you know, they all need a little bit of empathy work and sympathy work. So Mm, regardless of the culture. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So that was a lot of what I did and it was really cool to be able to connect with the students um, on that level because I came in bringing something that they all liked to do with the music and they all enjoyed and it had this instant rapport because I used their music and what they wanted and we were able to talk about things that are taboo because we were talking about the music. We weren't talking about them even though I knew they were talking about themselves. So yeah, that Uh, was my service. (laughs) I get that. Um, And could you maybe parlay that into, uh, you know, how that... Tell us a little bit about uh, Fijian culture and what a community life would be like for you, uh, you know, living with people in Fiji and what they do on a daily basis. Yeah, so Fiji is very much a communal culture. It's an island culture, so everything runs on island time, Mm -hmm. and that took a lot of adjusting, too. (laughs) I lived in a bamboo hut called a beret for two years and my third year I was a Peace Corps volunteer leader. I lived in the capital and I lived in a concrete house so that was felt like a step up out of my bamboo um, house but I have fond (laughs) memories and it's 
there's very much a community hall and your door stays open all the time. Your windows are open all the time. And it never felt like I lived by myself. It always, there were people always in my house all the time. And I'm sure many, many cultures are like that. So mm. it's funny because I say, you know, I had my own house, but I, I don't feel like I ever had my own house. I felt like we were all in one big house. So <laughs> very much communal, you know, the meeting will happen. What time in the morning? Well, what time in the morning? You know, after breakfast. So time is different priorities are different over there it really made me reconsider my whole perspective and slow down wow that's really neat and I, well i know that you learned a lot from that and it definitely makes you who you are today and um you know bamboo is a great uh, great building structure very strong very eco-friendly and i'm sure that it opened up like you said lots of doors to connect with others uh, that bamboo hut yes. Um, so how did that transition that into, how did that affect or be part of your running origins, how you started uh, running there? I have been a runner for, since I was in high school and I, I'm always so hesitant to say that because I'm, I'm not one of those people that runs fast. I run about <laughs> 12, a 12 minute mile. So, but I do it. I will always push through it. I'll always get it done. Um, so you know, it comes and goes, and in my second year, I would run off and on, but I really started training for this half marathon, and I was something I really wanted to do while I was in the Peace Corps is complete a half marathon, hmm. and so I would run after school sometimes, and we have sarongs, which we call them Sulus in Fiji, and as a woman, I had to tie a sarong onto me, and I had to tie it on a tree until once I left the village, because once I was on the road, it was okay. But in my mm. village, I was not allowed to wear shorts or capris or whatever I was wearing. Um, huh. So I always had my sarong tied on a tree. And one day it did get stolen, which was funny. Then I had to walk through the village. Uh -huh. One of the girls was wearing it. So I found the sarong on a tree. I said, it's mine. Why do you think it was on a tree? <laughs> I put it there every other day when I go running. So that was, that was a funny story. Um, but it was an interesting experience because running as a woman in Fiji is kind of seen as an attention grabbing activity. Hmm. It's seen as you're only going, they call it training. Like you're only going to go training if you want boys to look at you and if you want to look a certain way. And so it was definitely easier for me to run because obviously I'm an outsider coming in and they push American values on me. And so I can use that as an excuse sometimes. Right. But, um, but yeah, I kind of kept at it. So that was, that's the origin of my running story. And so, yeah, you're kind of, I felt that too. I, I was in Romania, but um, you're kind of outside of the local rules in some ways, or you can just be excused because that's the strange foreigner that lives with us. So we're just going to let it go, you know, and uh, sometimes yeah. people also say, oh, that looks fun. Why don't I join? And that's, that's always cool too. Did you have any of those experiences where, friends or co co-workers would say i should go running with her and train with her well i have a few stories so mm -hmm. i taught at the secondary school and um our our girls were training and everybody was training they have these they call them athletics which is basically a track and field event and one day which is silly because i'm almost 30 at the time I'm 31 now and I was like I'm gonna go train with these high school girls and it was the hardest workout I've ever done and but I did it with them and it was so cool seeing the look on their face <laughs> when I trained with them because they have this teacher who is um not in the most shape like giving them instructions on how to be an athlete but then they would never do anything and so um <laughs> by the end of our training we had a couple other teachers that would occasionally come out and train with us not the whole time but they would at least walk the track oh that's great well we had our you know our little track that wasn't really a track but um while our students were training and so it is a really cool moment to see that um that's awesome another time i had some of our youth girls join and they ran in flip-flops, which I'm continually impressed with because I can't even walk barefoot without tripping over my own feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess my ultimate favorite story is I was going to do a 
long run. So any of the runners are going to understand you mentally prep yourself and you like calorically prep yourself for your long runs. So I was getting ready to do this and the little girls who are like kindergarten, first grade age come up to me and say, Kelly, 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 we want to come running with you. And I was like, okay, maybe we can go running when I get back. And they were like, no, we want to go with you now. And so I scrapped my whole plans because how can you say no to that? And I have this opportunity to teach these girls to love their bodies Mm. and to teach them how strong they are and to value their body because their body can work hard, not because of how anybody else sees them. And so I, all right, let's just do our two miles. And instead of running, I think it was seven or nine miles or something, but instead of that, I spent the the time running with these young girls who kept up with me and they were so excited and it was a really cool experience um and at the end of it like always I did a couple laps around the community hall the kids all joined because they all know like she she goes running and then she'll run with us and we all do a couple laps so they can all run too and we got to talk about how our bodies are so strong and how cool it is that we can do this thing with our bodies and that if we eat healthy and and treat our bodies right that it can last us a really long time so it was a really cool opportunity that I don't think I would have had if I wasn't a runner right what a natural thing to just to you know be going out for a run and people are inquisitive they get excited especially children who don't have those boundaries and you know that's, yes. that's such a great, you know, you're an ambassador just in doing what you do and uh, letting that happen. That's that's yes. really neat. And um, children are often forgotten. Mm-hmm. And not forgotten. The village keeps an eye on them totally. It's not the right word. But they often don't have a role to mm-hmm. play yet. They're just playing all the time. And so to have somebody that took, like, an active interest in them and what they were doing was something that, None of the other adults did. It was kind of just, well, we're just going to mind the children, but we'll play on our phones or we'll talk with other adults. But to have them actively being engaged with an adult that was really invested in them is not something a lot of the other adults did. So it was, they were so thrilled that somebody was just interested in them. And I was just so surprised. I I would never have done that at their age. So (laughs) Yeah, and then you get, sometimes you get the other side of the spectrum where back home you feel like, wow, these kids are really doted over sometimes too much. So it takes away their creativity and their playtime. And um, you wish yes. sometimes they had some of that, you know, just go and play, have fun, you know. Yes, it's all a balance. Yeah. Um, any takeaways from, you know, your experience running, your training for the half marathon, and finally running it? Um, by the way, where did you actually run your half marathon? I ran it in the capital of Suva, so Suva, Fiji. Um, an interesting story, I didn't actually run the whole thing because I ended up injuring myself, but oh, I crossed no. the finish line. Oh, good. That's I crossed a, the finish then line. Then you ran and, it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's one of those moments I was really disappointed in the moment, but at the end of the day, I still completed my goal, and it was. I still had people afterwards telling me I had no idea a woman could run. I had no idea anybody like I had a pastor come up and tell me I had I've never seen anybody train like that before I've never wanted to do it you inspired me and so and I am I, I will say first of all I'm a very average person I'm not the skinniest <laughs> person I'm not the most athletic person and so I just try to show that everybody can do it and that it's something that anybody can accomplish yeah and for that matter you know a lot of people train with um the walk run technique the jeff galloway technique or various other walk run and that's the way they train for their half marathon or their marathon so i i say you're well in the well in the gang as a runner Uh, you fit you fit right in there anybody's a runner as long as you run whether that's two steps or you know 26 miles you're still a runner definitely could so other than that, do you think there are any um, takeaways that you could share with runners back here about, um, you know, about Fiji or about what you learned through the experience? Um, I think I learned to be more flexible because when you have this training plan in mind and you live in a communal village, you just can't do it that way. Like you can't live that selfishly in a way. And mm. so learning how to run and how to train and how to plan and a lot of it was 
time management and having to not procrastinate because you never know what's going to come up. Um, that was definitely a big takeaway for me. And at the end of the day, it, I still accomplished my goal, whether I crossed the finish line, I did cross the finish line running, but I didn't run the last couple miles. So I still met my goal. Um, and I am still strong no matter how I accomplish my goal. So that was a big takeaway for me. Cool. Yeah, I, I agree. There's nothing like whittling away that that sense of self or selfishness that nothing else can do it like living in close contact with others that have so little and have so much joy nonetheless um and you you know you're in the midst of it and you're in the middle of it so that's i'm really i'm really excited to go to fiji someday and i think you definitely sparked the interests of others and uh, Fijian culture and, and well, people. Well, obviously, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's the most beautiful running scene. You just have ocean on both sides of you. It's really humid, obviously, but <laughs> um, it, was, it was beautiful scenery and beautiful people, beautiful culture. So. Wow, great. Well, maybe you could share with us a few pictures and a few links that we can uh, put up on the blog, on the website, and share that way as well. Yes, I'm happy to. Awesome. Um, so, as we go, could you teach us one useful or a good phrase that we should know if we go to Fiji? So I don't know if it's useful, but we'll call it cheeky. So <laughs> the word vivi is the Fijian word to run, and it's C-I-C-I. The C is pronounced like a T-H sound, so okay. vivi. Um, it also is an inappropriate word for your bum. Oh, good to know. So when you say, <laughs> I'm going to go running in Fijian, you have to be very careful how you pronounce the word. It could mean something totally else. <laughs> oh, the things we learn in Peace Corps language training. Great. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm so, so happy to have you on. And this is such a neat story. I, I hope that we can keep in touch and connect people if they're, if they're interested in, in learning more about your Peace Corps service and about Fiji. Um, so we'll post that info on the website and uh, I hope to talk to you more soon. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story, Kelly. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. And welcome to the program, Christian Cedacero. Very grateful to have you with us today. Um, Christian currently works back in the D.C. area, actually helping others through program management to serve abroad. And, uh, well, Christian, really happy to have you on the program. I'm happy to be here. Um, maybe you could start out just by telling us, um, you know, the, the nuts and bolts, where and when and what were you assigned to do and what did you actually do um, during your service? Sure. So I served in Piscoring Guatemala from 2013 to 2015. Uh, I was in the Western Highlands of Guatemala. And I was a volunteer, a health schools volunteer, which is a government initiative program. The main objective of this program is to ensure that the schools, elementary schools in the country have uh, access to clean water, that they have, uh, that teachers are lesson planning, that there's proper nutrition for their snack time, that there's healthy corners, which are sections within the classrooms, so a corner within that classroom that has utensils for, utensils for practicing uh, hygiene. So, you know, soap, towels, nail clippers, uh, toothbrushes, all of that. So my job was to ensure that the 17 schools that I was working with in my municipality had as much of this as possible and then working with them to try to implement the program if they did not have that. So this was, you know, meeting with parents training teachers, sometimes doing direct lessons with students. That was my main project. Mm-hmm. Uh, my secondary project for the first year was working with this small community, and I had this reading group. So every Saturday, I would walk up to that community, and I will bring in stories in Spanish, and we would read for like an hour, and then after that, we would have some sort of snack and then play soccer after. So that was my <laughs> secondary project uh, for the first year. After the first year, I worked with this NGO. Uh, in, we were involved in uh, creating or not creating, but we had we, a community that needed more classrooms. Okay. And I had the opportunity of working with 
the community and this NGO. So we got a grant and we built four classrooms. Uh, but part of this was hosting two groups of service, two service groups in that community. So that took most of my second year, you know, hosting two groups of 40 high school students from wow. the U.S. to That's come great. to service work there. That so that fantastic. was that was like that took most of my second year. And during the summers, I would do leadership camps for the mm -hmm. youth. Yeah, sounds very similar to my time as well. Um, you know, you have that time in the summer and you want to continue the interaction, especially with young people. And there's that critical time when they have off in the summer where you can really make an impact. I, I think that's really cool. Um, did uh, From your time there, are you still in touch with uh, a lot of the high school students that you worked with, uh, social media, that kind of thing? I'm still in touch with a lot of my friends and a lot of the teachers. Mm -hmm. I'm not in touch with students directly uh, because a lot of my job was to train teachers so that it was more sustainable. And when I did do you know, lessons directly with students, uh, we would have, uh, I mean, we, we had a good relationship, but my main relationship was with teachers and school principals because that was the objective of the program. That's great. And you, your service was pretty recently, so that's a little bit better where the, you know, the social contact and the teacher connections can be kept up online. Yeah, for sure. And I am in touch with them till the day. Like, I get messages all the time. And I actually just came back from a trip uh, to Guatemala two weeks ago. Oh, wow. And I've been back three times since I finished my service. So could, you know, we hear a lot and possibly we even see a lot of Guatemalans in the U.S., but I think very few people actually realize what the day-to-day -day life is like there. Um, could you maybe give us, uh, paint us a picture of what your community was like and, you know, what the people were like that you worked with? Sure. So if, I guess let me give you an overview of what most of my community did, mm -hmm. and then we can talk about what I did. But in my community, I was in this agricultural community in the Western Highlands of Guatemala, in this valley. There was two volcanoes in the background. It was beautiful. Uh, but the main economic, uh, I guess, the main thing that the community did to sustain themselves was agriculture. And that, that, that included a lot of different things. But so they did broccoli. They did... Uh, corn, beans, the broccoli was one of the main things. They're one of the agricultural hubs of Guatemala and Central America. So every morning people would go out into the fields at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and work. And then at like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., the all the goods, uh, the broccoli or whatever vegetable they were sending out carrots would be packed into uh, this buses that did not have people. The chicken buses were just full of vegetables. All the seats had vegetables on top. There was like three feet high vegetables. They would be shipped into the capital. So most people went to work really early and then they came back, you know, in the afternoon. I can picture um, that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, that's what most of the community did, agriculture. But, uh, you know, my day today was, I will wake up at 6 a.m., uh, take a bucket bath, eat some quick breakfast, and then go to the bus stop. That it, it depends. Since I work with 17 schools, it, it depended where I was going. But I would go to a bus stop and then uh, go to that school, either do a training or do some monitoring and evaluation of the program. Uh, have snack refaction, which is their snack time in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's part of their culture. You not get anything done if you uh, if you try to skip refaction it's like a huge <laughs> thing so you always have to plan if you're going to have a meeting you have to have refaction it's just snack time but it happens at like 10 30 a.m every morning hmm. and everyone does it and it's usually for 15 30 minutes uh, so we would have that with the teachers uh, uh, or the students then after that i would finish on whatever we were working on that morning in school. I would go back home, have lunch, and then in the afternoon I would go into, since I work with the Ministry of Education directly, I had this office. This it's, It was a very small office, not really an office, but I had a <laughs> desk uh, where I would go and 
you know, sit and then work on different, whatever I was working on, whatever project I was working on. And if teachers had, you know, any questions or anything, they would come through because they were also seeing uh, the superintendent who also worked in that office. Uh And then in the afternoons, I would uh, go back, stop at the market, get some avocados or papayas. And then after that, go running for the evening. All right. So, yeah, what did your running uh, routine look like and how did the, you know, how did your community where you stayed, how did they respond to that? So running in Guatemala, at least in my site and from what I've seen uh, in other communities nearby, it's it's common. It's just maybe it, people don't do it as often because they're busy, you know, trying to live life and survive and sustain themselves. But usually Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings are when people who are interested in running would go running. Hmm. It's maybe like 5.30 a.m., 6 a.m. So it was it's something normal. People, when I, when I went running, it would be just, you know, someone else running. But I would go running with my host family's dog who... <laughs> so a little background on my host family's dog. He's this Labrador. He's always lived in the host family's house. When I when I got there, he had almost no exposure to being a street dog or being outside the house. Hmm. So that made it very unique when we when I started going through running with him, because he was just you know leaving the house for the first times, and this also meant that he did not know how to protect himself. Ah. So we would run to one of my favorite villages, the one where I did the reading group, uh, and every time I would have to take either a stick or rocks and you know that's just normal as as a volunteer you have to be prepared to fight off the dogs but my host family's dog would always be afraid or not know how to take care of himself so he would always run to me when dogs were chasing him so i had to (laughs) fight off the dogs for myself and for my dog or my host family's dog but yeah we would run it was around a three mile run Uh, so it was an easy run but there was this huge hill then after that, you went up in the other side, ran for like another mile. You came into the village. And then since I worked with that school, you know, all the students would be like, Christian, ah. So it would be, <laughs> it's, it's a small village. But uh, if someone saw you, like they'll start yelling your name because they, the students knew you. And then everyone else will start yelling their names or another name, my name. And uh, then they would like all come out up front. As I came through with the dog and then they would be like, you know, we just had some small talk and then I would always tell them, make sure you're brushing their teeth or washing their hands, uh, <laughs> your hands. And then I would uh, keep on running through um, the cornfields. A little bit of advice from the from the uh, runner through the community. Just as you go by, you tell them something they need to hear and then keep going. Um, that's, that's really funny. And, you know, by the way, Christian, I, I think you probably know this, but dogs and running seem to be a very common theme running through our Peace Corps, uh, running stories. So that's nice that you added that. Um, and are there any specific runs or things that you kind of worked up to that you felt were really, um, you know, demonstrative of where you were and what you were doing there? So there was... There was one run that I remember uh, very well. And it was just, you know, on the weekends, I would do my long run. But there's this town, or I guess it's a city nearby. Um, and it's like a 30-minute drive, but it's like a 13-mile run. And one of those days, I just decided that I was going in my long run, and then I decided to just... On, while on the run, I decided to try to go to that place, to that uh-huh. city. And I just, you know, went. <laughs> and it was one of my most memorable runs because it was one of my longest runs through this dirt road. This, it was just full of trees. And then you pass some small, you know, villages. You're in the mountains. There's nothing. It's just you. You always carry a rock just for, you know, the dogs again. And you're just going up through these mountains and then down the other side. And it's just beautiful. Past the river, past the mill on the right side. Uh, Halfway through that run, I realized that I needed some hydration since I hadn't been planning on doing this. Mm. 
I did not have much money because I wasn't planning on doing this. I also was not able to find a store. So that was also one of my most worrisome runs ever because turds, you know, after like an hour and a half of running, I was like, I need to hydrate myself. I can feel lightheaded, hmm. but I still am not there. So I just have to keep on running. <laughs> so that was that was kind of scary, but it was also just really beautiful and, you know, just being alone on this road and going through the mountains and just seeing nature was really, really unique and yeah. special. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of elevation training without without even intending it. Um, <laughs> yes. Running was easy, I'm sure, when you got back to uh, the lowlands there, the swampy area of D.C. Um, yes. Um, so you briefly, um, so I know that you took away from that experience a, a much more of a love for running through nature, through solitary running, as as you've mentioned to me a few times off air. Um, <clears throat> are there a few runs in D.C. that you've done since you got back Um I think you mentioned one which kind of connects some of those international causes to the running community. So there's, there's been, yeah, a few runs last year. I did uh, the Marine, no, the Air Force half marathon. Uh, and here in Rock Creek, I, I run through Rock Creek all the time. That's my favorite place to run. If you are in DC and you know Rock Creek, you know how beautiful it is. Mm. And if you visit DC at some point, you should definitely run through Rock Creek. It's this huge park in the middle of the city. You don't feel like you're in the city. There's a bunch of trails. There's a bunch of people running. It's a beautiful place. Mm. Uh, and this past week, I just ran uh, a small, uh, a short 5K. Um, that is to support financial literacy in the US. Uh, it's a race that a lot of different federal agencies participate in. So I ran with some friends and it was great. There was a bunch of judges, you know, other people from the federal government. It was a really great experience. Yeah. Sometimes uh, sometimes we forget that federal employees are real people too. And they, you know, they're out there for the most part trying to do good things and service work. Um, so that in the running community, I think that's especially visible. Um, and thank, thank you for doing that, Christian, and for bringing back all of those stories and service that you did in Guatemala to uh, to continue to serve back uh, back in the U.S. Um, is is there anything else maybe that you would like to share with us? Uh, I mean, Guatemala and Mexico are currently in the news a lot, and I I think about you know such a beautiful country and beautiful culture, how difficult things must be to force them to um, to migrate north through peril and danger with their kids in tow, you know, um, I, I wonder if you have any reflections upon that, um, you know, that kind of modern phenomena of what's, what's going on at the border. Yeah. So you're right. There's a lot going on down in Central America, you know, the area known as the Northern Triangle, which is Honduras, El Salvador and Guatemala are one of the reasons that all of this migration happens is violence and we all hear and know about it uh, but it's maybe we don't really understand uh, how much it affects people so for for example my host dad he was robbed three times on his way to work and back when i was there mm -hmm. uh, when i just came back uh, two weeks ago i learned that my host sister was robbed on the bus it's all the buses pay extortion fees. There's a lot of, you know, you're, you're living in this society where anything can happen anytime and there's violence all over the place. And the reason people migrate is because they, they want a better future for their kids. And especially in specific neighborhoods uh, where more of this gang violence might be concentrated, they're, they're forced into it, you know, and if you don't, if you don't give in or pay extortion fees, then it's just as easy as, you know, they, they, there's a lot of things that can happen that is usually not good. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyone, if, if you're living in, in an environment where you're selling uh, tortillas or where you're selling pupusas and then someone comes to ask you for an extortion fee, even if it's $10 and if you only make $15 a day, that's, it, it's a very, difficult environment to live in. But the people from Guatemala, from 
you know, they're really, really friendly. They're so, it's one of my favorite countries in the world. And I keep on going back and they're, it's unfortunate that all of this is happening, but I think you should definitely, if you have the chance, go and visit, see it for yourself. Uh, you know, violence is usually concentrated in very specific areas. Uh, but there's, there's just, yeah, it's, it's a great country and you should definitely visit if you can. Thank you, Christian. And, and thank you so much for, for that insight and giving us just a little picture of um, your community as well as some of the some of the factors that, um, you know, that are at play there. We're, um, we're happy to have you on. And as we close up here, uh, could you teach us a phrase, something that you used often or something that we might be able to use when traveling to Guatemala? Sure. So a phrase that is often used, and there's even stickers sometimes, uh, you might notice if you, once you're in Guatemala, is fíjese que. Okay. And fíjese que means, it, it, it's a phrase that you use right before introducing a negative phrase, something negative. So uh, when you, as a volunteer, when, you know, when I would organize meetings or if there's something that uh, needs, if I needed something from people, if there was a meeting happening and someone calls and they're like, they start with fíjese que, uh, you know that it's like, okay, so this person can come or something. So <laughs> fíjese que is just like an introduction to, I'm not going to make it or like whatever. It's usually a way of saying I can't do it Got or it. there's bad news. <laughs> Pay attention <laughs> but, here. This is something important. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not going to do it. Cool. But, fíjese que. Or, or refacción, snack time. Oh, like yeah. Refacción, yeah. sure. That'll, that'll be one that I need to know because I love snack time. So all runners yes. probably do. But thank you again, Christian. And um, I wish you good, good luck in all of your ventures there and happy running in your running community. Thank you, Mark. Have a great one. Yep, you too. Bye. And welcome to the podcast. Uh, Sarah Bruyer is joining us, and she is a freelance editor here actually in Florida as well, in the Clearwater area, but has connections to all over. And one of those places is Gabon, because uh, Sarah was there. Sarah, welcome. Could you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, where you're at and when in sure. uh, Peace Corps? Sure. Thanks, Mark. Um so I was in Gabon, Central Africa. It's on the west coast of Africa, right on the equator. And I joined the Peace Corps in 2002 and was there until 2004. Excellent. Um, can, yeah. Could you, um, could you maybe paint a picture of what community life was like or your day-to-day -day job while you're uh, during your service? Sure. I was um, a TEFL English teacher, which is teaching English as a foreign language. And I worked for two years in a Catholic high school um, wow. in Lambarene, which is a city in central Gabon. It's sort of a crossroads of cultures and ethnicities in the country. Hmm. I think there are 52 different languages and ethnic groups, wow. at least, uh, in wow. Gabon, which is a pretty small country. Um, but... My work was conducted mostly in French, so I was teaching classes of 65 students um, who were sitting on wooden benches in equatorial heat, and, you know, I'd say maybe 80% of them did not want to learn English, wow. Wow. <laughs> so that was my daily life for two years, um, but super rewarding overall. Um, there was a time where I had to kind of gain the trust of the students, but by the end, we were all having a wonderful time and Neat. doing a lot of fun activities together. Yeah. Neat. That's awesome. Could, could you maybe tell us a little bit about um, your running story in your host country or your running origins, kind of how you linked those two? Sure. I think I started running when I was living in New York City, um, and that was just prior to my Peace Corps service. Okay. And I was living about a block from the Hudson River oh, wow. and this wonderful running biking trail that goes all the way up and down uh, the side of Manhattan. So um, I was kind of inspired just by seeing everybody out there exercising and the fact that I was so close. So I started running 
uh, pretty much I started running, yeah, when I was living there in New York. And just having that wonderful outdoor space in the midst of a big city, right on the water. And that actually ties to my Peace Corps running experience because um, the housing I was given by the Catholic school where I was working was like a teacher's village. Okay. And um, all the teachers lived in very similar housing, very close to the school. And the school was actually on a beautiful big river. It's the main river in um, Gabon called the Ogue. And um, it's like as big as the Mississippi. It's huge huh. and beautiful. And, you know, we were eating fish out of it every day. And um, wow. it's definitely the life of the, the place. Um, and there was a really nice paved road up and down my neighborhood there, um, right along the river. Wow, what a great blessing. So, yeah. yeah, when I got there, I was about, I'd say a mile and a half from the center of town along this road. And I didn't have any transportation. I was walking everywhere. Um, but I realized this would be a great place to run early in the morning because it was before the heat of the day. And so I'd run toward town about a mile and a half and then turn around and run all the way back along the river for probably two miles. Um, And that's what I did every morning. Every morning. Good way to wake up and see the community. Um, Yeah. And it's really the only time of day that I was able to run because it gets really hot there. I bet. Did anyone take notice of your running? Any questions? Any interest? Well, that's where my good story comes in. Okay. Um, But I have to back up a little bit and tell you about my neighborhood. All right. Um, Great. And people in my neighborhood had dogs, but they're not the kind of dogs that live in the house with you. They're basically outdoor dogs, and they serve as guard dog animals. And people don't take the best care of them. They're not considered Mm. pets. They're like security guards. Yes. So these dogs are very mangy. Yeah full of fleas and you know you really don't want to touch them but um and some of them are mean and kind of bark at you but for some reason i mean just because of my relationship with dogs i started scratching some of them behind their ears and then you know of course washing my hands immediately (laughs) but uh so they liked that they started hanging out on my porch and after a while i had two or three dogs hanging out on my porch every morning and so when i'd leave for my run they'd come with me. And I thought it was fascinating that these dogs that were pretty much free ranging on their own, they wouldn't go for a run by themselves, but they would follow me. And, you know, I think because they started to like me and they just follow me to see where I was going. And so over time, this group of dogs grew to like probably five or six on a regular basis. And they'd all be sitting there waiting for me at about six in the morning when I'd come out of my house. Hmm. And so I became the laughingstock of my neighborhood (laughs) because, you know, everyone could kind of see there was sort of a hillside so you could look down the hill and out at the river. and Everybody could look out and see the white lady running with her six dogs down the road every morning. Um, And then when some of the dogs were in heat, it would be more like 12 dogs following. That's funny. (laughs) You know, it's, it's really because really the dogs and I've been to places like this too, where they're, they're really just functional as guard dogs and they're meant to be mean and not to be played with. And here they are running alongside you as, as companions. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, you know, I, it was funny to sort of be the community laughing stock. And at the same time, people got to know me that way. mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was just this common joke. Um, and it was lighthearted and, um, <laughs> and it also felt kind of nice to be admired by somebody, this pack of dogs. It really felt like, you know, um, I don't know it's a funny feeling to be admired by a pack of dogs, but, yeah, but and... you know, it became, it became part of my running routine to have them with me. Neat. And by the, by the end where I would stop, they'd all kind of disperse. They wouldn't follow me back to my house. They just all sort of went back to wherever they wanted to go. Oh, that's great. So it was a lovely experience. You know, you shared with me a little bit off air about, um, you know, how you got, got into running uh, in the first place as well and some of the, how that took you, you know, your project. How did your project um, give you insight into being an editor or telling other stories? Uh, I'd be interested to hear, you know, basically you're a professional uh, editor, a listener of stories. So I, I'd be interested mm-hmm. to hear how that, you know, how that impacted you. Well, that's a really good question. I haven't thought 
about that. Um, I do have to say my Peace Corps experience majorly impacted my life. Hmm. Um, you know, I had this nice little dog community, but I also had a wonderful community of colleagues and neighbors and students. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I'm such a proponent of Peace Corps service for that reason, that there's such a cultural exchange. Hmm. Um, it's not a one-way experience. It's not me there to, to help or to give something. Um, I was there as much as a, as a student as anything else. But as I've gone on in my editing career, uh, I ended up actually working for the past 10 years on African writing. Wow. Um, I was the managing editor of a journal of African writing, um, so, you know, clearly that connection, that bond was really strong and I continued to be interested in, you know, the African continent. Sure. You can't help, but after. To, you can't help, but be just engaged in the lives of people that, you know, so closely and spend two years with and hear their stories and, you know, know their, where they're coming from and the things that they want to tell about. I, I'm sure that a lot of that played into your work. Definitely. Um, would you, you know, if I could, you know, just take one more step back with you, do you, mm -hmm. as you were leaving the Peace Corps, I know it's been like a decade, it's been the same for me, we, we served around the same time in the early O's, mm -hmm. um, as you were leaving the Peace Corps, what, what did it give you, um, you know, what was it, one of the takeaways for you, um, you know, not necessarily from running, but just from the, uh, from the overall experience? It just completely broadened my understanding of myself and of life on earth in general. Mm. Um, and it helped me to kind of question all of my beliefs and cultural conditioning, you know, kind of separate out who am I as an individual? What do I believe? And what are some beliefs and thoughts I've adopted as being part of my particular culture? And I think that's something that Peace Corps, um, you know, if you're open to it, can really expand your understanding that's yeah in that it, way i i would agree 100 percent. that's really good the way you, that you put that both in terms of that feeling like uh i i got much more than i was able to give even though i gave a lot and my worldview if i'm open to allowing it to be changed to, can you know when i enter to when i leave when i come home your priorities change uh, incredibly um, mm -hmm. so. I think also the cross-cultural communication skills are really important. Hmm. And later on in grad school, I had a chance to look at um, citizen diplomacy, which is basically what Peace Corps is. Mm -hmm. Just person-to-person, citizen-to-citizen sharing about their cultures and their countries um, and spreading goodwill that way, hmm. you know, both ways. So... Like I was doing. always just amazed that the U.S. government provides this opportunity, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I really do always say I learned more in the Peace Corps than I learned in a lot of years of higher education. Or <laughs> 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 I learned different things, the yeah. things I wouldn't have learned any other way. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good point. And whenever people ask me, uh, should should I apply? Do you think I'm good enough? I tell them, yeah, you know, it's you paid your taxes. Your parents have paid your taxes. It's your right. Mm -hmm. If you want, if you want to do it, just keep applying, mm -hmm. keep working on it, and you'll eventually get an offer. Um, and you'll be able to go as long as you're open to traveling and and open to being put where you're needed. Mm -hmm. um, well, I I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you is, um, could you teach us a little Gabon French or native uh, phrase that you think would be useful or helpful or interesting if we ever travel traveled there or met someone from there absolutely um so there are many languages in gabon but the primary after french the primary language there is fang okay which is a language that crosses borders um, that ethnic group is really large hmm. um, spreads into equatorial guinea and cameroon as well so their greeting just to say hello is mbolo mbolo Mbolo. And if that's if you're greeting an individual. If you're greeting a group of people, you say Mboloani. Mboloani. Yes. Cool. Now, I just, I just learned on the internet today <laughs> that Mbolo has a different meaning in East Africa, so you want to avoid using that word if you're 
if you're in Uganda or uh, anywhere where Luganda is spoken, it's a Fong word that means hello. It has other meanings in other parts of <laughs> of Africa. All right, good, good to good to keep in mind. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Sarah, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and just in this short time, getting to know so much about your insight. And we'll, if you don't mind, we'll share you know your information and your picture and sure. maybe um, a link to the uh, the journal that you worked with or the community that um, you worked with as well, if, if, if you're open to it. Sure, that'd be great. Cool. Well, thanks. Thanks again for joining us, Sarah, and uh, telling your, your Peace Corps running story. Thanks, Mark. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. And welcome to the show, Sarah Twing. Uh, actually, she goes by Twing, and uh, we're really happy to have you. And I heard your story and was excited to have you on the show. Um, she's currently with RTI International, uh, doing project management in Chicago. But, of course, that does not define her. She's done so many other things, including Peace Corps service. Uh, where and when, Twing? I, hi, first of all. Um, I did Peace Corps in Dominican Republic in Abate, which is a... Um, a sugarcane plantation with Haitian migrants, and um, I did it from August 2013 until October of 2015. Wow, that that sounds like a wonderful. And um, could you tell us, you know, your assignment, primary, secondary, what kind of, what was your assigned duty, and then what did you actually do? <laughs> yeah, so I came in as a youth family community development specialist, and I was essentially assigned to do youth groups and environmental groups as well as you know parent groups just a lot of the whole education sphere and then that was essentially my primary goal but then my secondary became a solar powered library Um, my community had no electricity and no running water and so we decided that community that had some electricity that was um, consistent would help kids so that we could provide um, after school programs and help them in homework rather than doing it by the candlelight Oh, very cool. Much, much needed, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, could you paint a picture of what your day-to-day life was like or what your community life was like in the Peace Corps? Yeah, it was. So I probably had a very different experience than most. Um, I had to live with a host family of six to seven people. I had my own room, but then the six and six to seven people lived um, in another bedroom, including a baby. And um, given the politics of the community, I had to stay there for two years, and hmm. um, which was good and bad in some ways. Um, it was hard to get, you know, some independence and um, privacy, but it was good. I there's always someone to help um, teach me about the culture, to teach me how to cook, um, things like that, and to really just integrate into the community. Um, with respect to like a daily. Um, schedule it, I mean it obviously varied during the seasons if it was rainy we you know we'd just be stuck inside the hut essentially or the house without anything to really do because um, we had no electricity so hmm. <laughs> it was pretty um, boring and then when we did and if it was in the summer we would try to um, along with my counterpart which was my host brother we would try to um, create some you know youth groups and whether it's like in this like random building that was no longer in use um, or we would go into the school we would try to um, just have some classes on sexual education and we did it for both boys and girls um, and pretty much overall it I mean there was no consistent um, schedule but we I did do a lot of running I think that was probably the most consistent aspect of my my whole entire Peace Corps service wow. that and eating a lot of rice and beans <laughs> <laughs> I can understand why you would um, need running as an outlet and why maybe some yeah. of the young people there would be happy to pick it up. Um, could, yeah. could you tell us, you know, about, I, I know you started running in, in the Peace Corps. Could you tell us about how that came about and how you got the community involved in it? Yeah, of course. Um, so when, when I first came to Peace Corps, I had never, I was not into running. I was, I had done track in high school and um, my longest one that I would ever do were the 300 meter hurdles, which I absolutely hated because it's just so far. I was better at the 100s. Um, so distance was not a friend of mine, and I did volleyball and basketball, and I just distance. I was a better sprinter, to say the least. And so for me, there wasn't. Um, I do remember the first time I ever ran with the community. I 
we sprinted and I actually fell over this huge rock and have a big scar from it on my knee actually. No. Um, and so that's when I was like, oh, well, maybe sprinting is not the thing to do. And so yeah. um, during one of those, you know, hard times during Peace Corps that I think everyone has where you think about whether or not that the service is really for you and whether you're not your communities, you know, you're fit for that community. Um, I decided to just kind of get an outlet and just run on my own, just by myself. It was the only way I could think. And um, it wasn't, I had never seen people run in my community. We, it was a community of 300 people. Um, most of them were migrant workers. And uh, then the kids were off in school. And so, um, but for safety reasons, I would run midday, usually at like 12 p.m. at the hottest time of the month um, or the hottest time of the day so that um, there would be less likely to, you know, get robbed or sure. get harassed. And so um, I did it pretty much every other day. And um, I my initial um, my initial goal was a 5K. I downloaded the app of a 0 to 5K or couch from from and little by little I you know I had my really crappy iPhone or iPod and I you know used that and then um once I finally hit the 5k mark I did do a 5k and I decided after that you know I could do a 10k and um, when I started training for the 10k and was more serious about it my community um they took a real interest in it they were kind of shocked that I would run at the hottest day and try to get darker because you know the community in DR um, the lighter skin is just you know uh, preferable Hmm. Um, social thing exactly so and especially if they're Haitians they didn't want to get dark and so doing it at 12pm would not be a um, thing to do and so what I did um, (laughs) one day I was running and some of the kids started running alongside me just as a joke and then um we kind of went back to the community and um about three boys and three girls asked me if they could run with me the next day and i said sure you know we could try doing you know little by little and so um the first time i you know i had we had to do at 6 a.m because they had classes and they had to get ready and so they would wake me up at 6 a.m um knocking on my wooden door and um i was someone that needed to eat before i would work out so mm-hmm. <laughs> they would actually come uh, to my door with some food, like bread or something, just so I could run with them. And then I would provide the water. I would, um, I had one water bottle that I would, like one of my Nalgene's and I filled it up and um, we would, I would have them, you know, share it. But yeah. And some of them, some of the kids obviously didn't have running shoes, so they would run barefoot, but yeah, yeah. um, yeah, but it was an incredible opportunity to teach them, so much because you know the gender norms and the disparities um in the dr are high but then also um there's a lot of racial tensions and so it was an amazing opportunity to kind of just show the world that you know they're confident and they can run outside in front of people and um i think for me the best aspect was i saw at one point some of the kids would run they would they were able to keep up with me and then there's you know maybe one or two that couldn't and so we would end at one of the finish lines that I had marked and we taught them about, you know, teamwork and encouragement that it's, you know, critical to always cheer your teammates on whenever someone's running behind. And then at one point I even suggested, you know, if you want to run with them to the finish line, that's also something that's admirable. And um, some of the kids did that. It was, and it was amazing to see that. And also amazing to see that some of the females were running with me and they, um, their confidence levels you could see were, had improved just from a, you know a few days running with us and um, and I know to this day I don't I don't actually know if like they keep running but um, just during that one time we did reach the 5k mark where the kids were able to run with me up to like three 3.2 miles or 3.1 miles so it was a uh, it's really awesome <laughs> that's a really great story I I'm impressed by the way in which you kind of tied in all those things that running provides. And I think for a lot of kids in the U.S., that's true too. But that culture, you know, of sportsmanship and of parlaying your experiences in sport to self-esteem and school and other things, that's, um, I think that's something that we can share with with other people and other cultures that uh, perhaps is part, you know, one of those good parts of American culture that that, uh, people go forth and share in the Peace Corps. 
Um, do, did you feel that um, everyone was accepting and encouraging or did you have to win people over in the process? Um, you know, I did have to win some of the parents over and try to explain, you know, this is a good use of their free time. Um, and they're, they are learning more than you actually think they are if they're not in school. Because I am someone that doesn't learn the best in school. I have ADD, so I need to always be active. And um, whether it's via sports or, you know, or just doing hands-on, that's how I best learn. And, um, and I felt that a lot of these kids had the same um you know, um, learning styles as I did. So that's why I wanted to integrate it. And I didn't do it purposefully. I, you know, it was very, very random at some point, the idea of them running with me, because I wanted it to be a very personal thing. So for me to like, if I had a bad day, I could run it off. Um, but then I realized, you know, it's pretty selfish to, <laughs> if the kids are actually wanting to do this, it's amazing. Um, cause it's really hard for them to buy into something, you know, that requires a lot of work and they don't see necessarily a goal at the end of the, of the tunnel. And so, um, they, it, the parents initially were, but I think after a while, after they consistently saw how like, um, happy their kids were and how, you know, accomplished they felt, then it, I think the only reason they were initially off put, put it by it was because they thought they would have to buy shoes. Um, <laughs> and so I said, no, like sometimes I would give my shoes to some of the kids or like we, they would always like trade shoes. Um, sometimes they prefer to actually run barefoot. Um, and so it was by told them this is actually the cheapest form of like help and therapy and, you know, meditation that you can do. <laughs> you don't need any equipment so well, that's great. if you want <laughs> and, and now you have uh well provided that the roadway is clear or the trail is clear you have a lot of advocates of barefoot running uh so maybe yeah. they're, maybe they're ahead of their time there um, exactly. <laughs> um so after uh twing after two years and and the you know more than two years uh, in country um for the preparation and your service um do you have any takeaways uh for people listening who you know, maybe uh, have served or may not have served abroad. What um, what did you take home with you? What's the thing that you that kind of infiltrates your daily life, or that you 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 feel that you learned uh, the most about? So I would say I learned the most about um, perseverance and being tenacious. I I I think this my piece work experience is very difficult. I've worked in extreme hardship and poverty and. Um, and it was one of, it was a very difficult experience for me for two years. And every day I almost questioned, you know, is this for me? Should I keep doing it? But, you know, my, my brain logically was like, no, just like try to enjoy, like live life elsewhere. Like you're not happy. Um, whereas mm-hmm. my heart knew that, you know, I, I needed the community as much as they needed me. And so, um, I stuck, I stuck through it for two years. I don't know how. I mean, I had amazing friends in Peace Corps that really helped me. But um, to this day, I keep thinking to myself, you know, um, with everything that's going on in my life now, I'm like, if I can survive Peace Corps, I can survive, you know, figuring out my next career move or, um, you know, figuring out, like, just what I want to do in life. And uh, and the Peace Corps really helped with that. I just, um, I can't think that experience enough and you know people ask me all the time like should I do peace for and I said you know every person has their own experiences and it's what you make it and if you're willing to fight for it then go for it but if you expect it to come to you then it's not something um worth doing and getting a community involved and so hmm. um, I actually go back to my community uh and I do a medical mission in the DR every year and when I can I go back to my uh my community I just went back wow. in March that's so and awesome so, yeah, and some of them, some of the kids were like, "Oh, we still remember when you did this and like that," and, um, and it's just, um, I'd never thought I would get that much out of two years, and I've learned more than I think a master's could ever teach me. So. <laughs> what a, what a great takeaway! And we're by the way, Twing, we'll put um, if you send that over to me, we'll put the link for the the medical mission that you do, and maybe we can uh, yeah, get some people on board, awesome. uh, you know, listeners, or even collect some shoes or something for. Uh, for those uh, yeah. young runners when you go down. Yeah, um, that'd be awesome. All right. Well, um, as we finish up, uh, maybe there's uh, a few words you could teach us in, uh, in is it Haitian or uh, Haitian Spanish? So I, I spoke Spanish. Um, my community did speak some Creole, but they all knew Spanish as well. So 
just because of the limited training in, in Creole, um, I decided to opt for Spanish and I, and I knew I could, you know, be more effective with that. Sure. <laughs> and so, um, so there's some, so one word that I love and it's just the fried part of the, the rice bowl. Um, they call it con con and all everyone in DR, like in my community, they would always give me the con con, which is uh. like, the, the, you would literally scrape it off. So they would give me this huge frying pan and I would literally just scrape off the con con and like eat it in lieu of my rice. It was delicious. This is the treasured um, part. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very <laughs> crunchy, very oily. Um, I mean, I gained 10,000 pieces of corn, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was one of the reasons. Um, but there's that word. And then my other favorite word is, um, it kind of goes along the whole theme of perseverance and tenacity, and it's palante, which means, it literally means, like, go forward or, you know, just move forward, and every day I kind of had to give that pep talk to myself about, you know, just palante, just push forward and keep going, going until you can literally no longer go, and um, and that stuck a lot with me, and I'm, you know, I'm really glad for words like that where it's, you know, embedded in the culture to continue to move forward. So um, it pushes you to, to do your best as well. Oh, what, a, what an awesome lesson and Peace Corps story and, and running story. So that's a great, <laughs> great one to finish on. Thank you so much for joining us, Twing. And, um, of course. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Para adelante. Palante. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. And happy running. And happy running to all of you. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to hearing from you and talking to you through our website, on our Facebook page, any way that you would like to link up with us. We hope that you'll join us for next week's episodes with Bart Yasso telling some of his running stories from Runner's World. And again, next week, we'll have more Peace Corps running stories from different parts of the globe, learning more languages, more lessons. Can't wait to see you then.